and welcome to the NHRA Insider Podcast with Brian Loans. A blazing fire under the body of the nitro-powered Toyota Camry of Alexis DeJuria, and this is as bad a fire as you're ever going to see. On this episode, it's National Tech Director Lonnie Grimm and Dr. Phil Surface of the NHRA. Eric Anders is your 2020 Pro Stock World Champion in stunning fashion. It's the director and the doctor. Scotty's out on Andrew at 1,000 feet. It's Scotty Polachek for the first time in his career. This is the NHRA Insider. Tony Schumacher. Wow, what an appropriate way to end this one. 28 10,000s at the strike. An instant classic final round. Hey, everybody. Welcome to this episode of the NHRA Insider Podcast. I am your host, Brian Loans, as we continue on with our shows here in the offseason leading into 2022. And well, literally leading into 2022 as we've just turned the page into the last month of 2021, and this is going to be a fun episode. We talk about this show being the NHRA Insider, and we're actually taking you inside the NHRA with this show, uh, specifically today as we're going to have Lonnie Grimm, who's the National Tech Director on, he'll be our first guest, and Dr. Phil Surface, whose name you may not be 100% familiar with, but he is the uh, basically the, the Chief Medical Officer, if you will of the NHRA. We're going to talk to Dr. Surface about a lot of things, not only at the racetrack, but a lot of the things that he does with the sport of drag racing outside of the racetrack. And I think you're going to be kind of blown away by the role that Dr. Surface has in our sport. And as far as our conversation with Lonnie Grimm, we're going to go into some really interesting stuff that we're going to be talking about the factory experimental class, which has uh, really captured a lot of people's imaginations. There are cars being built right now for it. It's a brand new category that was uh, announced at SEMA. We're going to talk about some uh, upcoming changes. We're going to talk about the process of how things work in the tech department, again, both at the racetrack and away. And we'll talk a little bit about the PRI show, which is coming up next week, which will uh, mean that we may maybe have a show next week, maybe not. I'm heading out to the PRI show early in the week, so uh, it may, uh, may preclude a show. But we'll have all kinds of live streaming video from PRI. You can watch on NHRA.com and check out... Um, and check out all the interviews we're going to be doing with a multitude of people inside and outside the NHRA around the world of drag racing and motorsports. That PRI show is going to contain a lot of news drops. It's going to contain a lot of news drops for the NHRA itself. Of course, we have big announcements coming from uh, people like Ron Caps that will be happening uh, at the show. He'll announce what his plans are officially for 2022 and beyond. Uh, we're going to talk a lot about uh, upcoming partnerships with other racers. My understanding is that there are announcements that will be happening early next week uh, regarding some of the, um, let's call them, I don't know if they're alliances, I don't know if they're official teammates, but you're going to know some stuff uh, early next week, like Tuesday-ish, um, that may be kind of mind-boggling to you. Uh, it's kind of fun. I'm sorry to be the tease on that one, but I'm not supposed to talk about the specifics of any of this stuff until it's announced, so I'm not going to, but make sure you're paying attention to uh, everything going on far as NHRA social media and all your favorite uh, drag racing social media sites because there is going to be a big splash made on Tuesday. There is some hopeful upcoming news for uh, one of the biggest teams in the sport trying to bring a driver back that was sidelined for almost every race last year. I'm not going to name any names, but he was sidelined for almost every race last year. Thinking face emoji, you know who that is. And hopefully we're going to hear about that next week as well. If not a week after, there's uh, a lot of positivity happening uh, around the Brownsburg area. You know, we've seen some announcements made so far. We're going to continue to see those announcements made. And, you know, we've been teasing and talking about this offseason, and, and it really has been going along pretty well when we talk about, you know, the creation of Factory Experimental. We talk about the uh, the moves that have been announced and made already. 
Uh, there's a big hiring um, blast going on, if you will, in and around Brownsburg and really in and around the sport. There are people looking for crew chiefs in the sportsman ranks, Anthony Bongiovanni being one of them. There are people looking for crew members. I know Blake Alexander and his team have posted jobs. Uh, AB Motorsports has posted jobs. Um, I know that uh, you know Tony Stewart Racing has been hiring crew for uh, Leah Pruitt's top fuel dragster, uh, Leah Pruitt Stewart's top fuel dragster, and be making that change next year. And so uh, that is going to continue, especially when we start talking about adding some people and shifting some teams around. So I would, if you're listening to this and you've considered, hey, I'd like to have a career in drag racing. I've always wanted to do that, but I've never had the chance or I didn't know how to apply for a job or where to look. Go to NHRAlaunch.com. It is literally a jobs market that is filling with opportunities by the day in the world of NHRA drag racing. And uh, these opportunities range from pro stock teams to nitro teams to everything in the middle. Hospitality jobs. You want to wrench on something, those opportunities are available as well. We've, we've talked about it, and this will continue to be the case, I would say really up until Pomona, because teams like Doug Foley have relocated themselves from what was North Carolina to Brownsburg, Indiana. And by doing that, they need to hire crew. Um, and this is not a unique situation. This has been this is something that is um, going along very strong in terms of people looking for qualified applicants and the opportunities that are available at this moment at the professional level in drag racing are are I'm not going to say unparalleled, but uh, they have been they are unparalleled for what we've seen. Let's call it over the last ten years. So very cool stuff, uh, really kind of all over the sport. And again. Um, as far as things to announce, news to break on this particular show, on this particular day, I don't have a whole lot of that. Uh, it is kind of a quiet period. I hope you had some time with your family over the Thanksgiving week to chill out, take a deep breath, and uh, and take a few days off. I think a lot of our teams obviously took advantage of that. Crew members that have been going just like wildfire all year, take a, taking a little bit of a long weekend and catching their breath. And a lot of folks uh, you know, rolling back into the shop hardcore this week. And then, of course, the PRI show will take the attention of a lot of the drivers and the business side of those teams. And then really when we look at the window here to get stuff ready, um, you have the week after PRI, then you have Christmas. So that's basically a week that uh, most people are not going to spend a lot of time in the shop. And then we go to uh, we go to the week after that, and that puts us about a month away from, you know, from starting to think about testing. And we know for a fact that the Toyota teams will be testing, some of them anyway, uh, will be testing the new body out in January. So for you know drivers like J.R. Todd, the offseason is going to consist of maybe the next three weeks. <laughs> it is insane to think about it, but they're going to be getting after it with those new Toyota bodies, which is also a great story to end the season with. All right, so our first guest in this episode of the NHRA Insider Podcast, a guy that I've known for a long time and worked with at about 100 different places, NHRA National Tech Director Lonnie Grimm. Lonnie, how you doing, man? Man, I'm good. Uh, hopefully everybody had a great turkey day and a good holiday, a couple days to catch their breath and uh back in action getting ready for pri yeah man speaking of catching breath uh you guys have made the internet breathless with this whole factory experimental thing i want to get into that in a few minutes but uh have you been surprised with the uh, response that that category's gotten so far at the end of the day yes but uh at the beginning of that whole project and uh you know it was it was really with uh it was really with a lot of passion that that thing came about anyway. And so it was, uh, we didn't, 
we as a collective group didn't think we were making a decision that wouldn't have that type of energy as we get to this portion of the the phase in the program so to speak and uh so yes uh, we're uh, we're elated that uh that everybody has expressed uh, this amount of interest and uh, and energy towards this project yeah, man, and again, we'll get into this in a few minutes, but I, I want people to understand. And at this episode, it's the guests are going to be you and Doctor and Doctor Phil Surface, and um, I, I kind of want people to understand what these jobs and roles are because they go far beyond just what happens at the racetrack. So, your position, national tech director. Let's walk through the two main portions of this job. Let's talk about during a normal race weekend as national tech director. What is your role at the racetrack? So we actually, at the, at the national event level, we call it the crew chief. And so really you've got a, you've, you've got a select group of people that are there uh, in support of the tech department. Uh, they all have their strengths. And, uh, and so you've got people taking care of stock, super stock. You've got people overseeing and safety checking the super classes. And you've got... Uh, certain people that are involved with top fuel and funny car and pro mod and pro stock and pro stock motorcycle. And everybody kind of has their own individual job as the crew chief or the national tech director. You oversee those people, help them when they need help. Uh, if you have a tear down a protest, uh, you've got to go check some cars. Uh, obviously, uh, we wear a lot of hats uh, within my department. Everybody does a superb job. Uh, nobody's too good to do any other job. And so, uh, again, it's just a very busy weekend uh, in support of all the guys that you have out there in the field uh, doing the work. You know, I think one of the a funny story that I'd love you to tell is, um, you know, we uh, you came on board. Uh, I want to talk about the first day at the first race after you had this job, because it really is a funny story. It is a it is a it is a great story. It's not a story that uh, that you tried to script, nor did uh, was I looking for it to happen. <laughs> but uh, but it ends up it it will this story will never falter. It'll be told a million times. Uh, it'll be a great story for a sportsman guy that says, "Why do you pick on us? You never pick on the pros." Right. Um, and uh, so yeah. So the way that story goes. Is as as a storyteller, I tell it my first fifteen minutes on the job. But uh, but really, it was at the end of day one qualifying. This was Las Vegas one, uh, so I was not employed at Gainesville twenty twenty one. But then I moved to that position and was in full employment at uh, the Vegas National. So here we are, Vegas National, the end of top fuel qualifying. And earlier, whenever I'd got there throughout the day, I was asking my technical group and uh, Ned Walliser, Tim White, Joey Gorman, hey, you know, what have we not done in a long time? And they go, you know, with the pandemic and we raced at Indy a lot and it's, it's probably been quite a while since we checked some fuel in the uh, funny car and top fuel categories. I go, oh, that sounds like a great idea. <laughs> so... So I employ checking fuel and top fuel as they come off the top end of the racetrack for Q1. And uh, lo and behold, everybody's looking good. Things are going well. Uh, Doug Coletta's team rolls up. Uh, we, peel the, uh, we peel the fuel cell open. Uh, we check some fuel. Oh, boy. That's not right. <laughs> so, uh, and, 
by a, is, we yeah. should clarify too, like by a single percentage point. I mean, it was it was a minuscule, like a minuscule amount. That's correct. It was not some major percentage. There is a rule. There's no variation above that rule. And so, yes, they were only slightly above in a in a tenth of a percent. And uh, anyway, it's just uh, that's the rule. And so, uh, so I disallowed the run. On a personal note, I'm hoping that I'm disallowing a run that just knocked the tires off, smoked the tires, didn't have very good right. performance. But unfortunately, it was number two qualifier on Friday evening. So. <laughs> but the uh, uh, the team got team got really upset i understood how quickly tv shows up uh how quick uh, everybody else wants the story and uh and the funny end part of the story is uh is ned walliser <clears throat> which is kind of our overall uh overseer our director of the competitor of the uh, technical department uh my phone rings and and ned goes uh ned's phone rings and uh, he answers it, and he's talking. He's like, yeah, yeah, okay, uh, hold just a second. He looks at me, and he goes, Lonnie, what did we just do? <laughs> I said, well, Doug Collette didn't pass field check. And he goes, oh, okay, are we sure? I go, three times sure. And uh, so nonetheless, so we checked that fuel multiple times uh, to make sure that we didn't make a mistake, that all of our equipment is up to par and reading correctly. And so, yeah, there is a – there is a mixture of three checks for that fuel. All three checks failed, and so that run was disallowed. So, yeah, it is it is a great first day story. It uh, it is not one that I had uh, hoped for, looked for, or intended. Yeah, and 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 it's again, it speaks to the nature of the job, right? And it the nature of the job is not to run around and go, "Aha, I caught you doing something." But the nature of the job, especially at the racetrack, is to ensure you know, the fairness and parity of the cars and, and to ensure the fairness and parity of racing. And um, what which race was at end of the year? Was it Vegas where you had the pro stock teams uh, fuel in the lanes? Uh, so we did. So, <clears throat> excuse me, something that hadn't been done in, in over 20 years, really since, uh, well, I wouldn't say 20. So since carburetors, um, we go to Topeka. And so take Topeka in the summertime, um, we bring the, we let the pro stock cars come to the lanes, like ready to run fueled up, ready to run. They got their own fuel from their trailer. And, uh, there had been a decision made that, uh, we were going to pump the fuel out of the pro stockers and replace fuel with a known SR 18, which is the fuel they're supposed to run. Uh, and so, and every tank in the stage and lanes would be the exact same fuel. Uh, they all, we re we pumped all the fuel out. We put fuel in. Uh, we sent them up the hill, and uh, fortunately, there was not one car that fell off. They all either ran the same or picked up, and so there's always that um, that staple in pro stock and pro stock motorcycle that there is a lot of power in fuel, yeah, and and especially in fuels that you are not supposed to run or any blend of a fuel, right? And so, uh, so in classes where we have fuel check. Uh, we try to stay on top of that, and sometimes we will throw a little monkey wrench in it and uh, and fill their tanks or tell them to come dry. Uh, but uh, we're fortunate that throughout the year we didn't see any falter of performance when we did that. So, um, but yeah, we did that at at Dallas. <clears throat> we put fuel in them at Dallas. We did the pump out and pump in 
at Topeka. Uh, we've done that a number of times throughout the year in different classes. And, you know, one of the things I mentioned uh, when I introduced you is the fact that you and I have, have worked together at a load of different events and, and many different kind of levels and styles of drag racing. You've been involved with the No Prep King Series. you really one of the most diversified guys in the sport, whether it's Drag Week or anything else. And, um, you know, you and I were both at the uh, the million-dollar bracket race that was held up in Michigan in 2020. And, um, you know, you were up there as, doing your job as the tech director at that particular race. And, Something that was very unfamiliar to a lot of these guys was, uh, we're going to look at your car. Like, we're not just going to walk around it. Like, we're going to look at your car. And, you know, for the amount of money that was uh, up that weekend, for the amount of money people were competing with, um, the guys that had to do it were mildly annoyed, maybe. But everybody else, I think, was very appreciative of the fact that somebody was actually keeping an eye on things and looking for devices, right? That's really the only way you're going to cheat in bracket racing is to use some sort of a device. And you didn't find anything. But again, it's that idea that somebody out there is trying to keep the, the playing field level, right? Then that's an important thing. Mentioning that million dollar race, I want to talk a little bit on the sportsman side. We've talked about the, the you know fuel checks and, and the work you guys do on the pro side. But let's talk a little bit about what the tech department is doing with sportsman racing over the course of a normal weekend. Yeah, so uh, so for instance, Maple Grove this year, we uh, um, we pulled four cars from uh, from each class in the sportsman ranks. So uh, most notably, there we were looking at uh, Super Gas, Super Comp, uh, at some events at Super Street. Uh, it's a throttle stop class. There are some electronic aids that can be employed in those cars uh, to, or even just wiring. Uh, that can really uh, stabilize the car and make it go 90, but it's not uh, that is outside of what's accepted in the rules. And so, if uh, I always say that the <clears throat> this isn't for everybody, but for most, if if you are have the ability to race the class, you really have an upper hand in knowing how to tech the class. Yes, and so. Uh, uh, we have a we have a great tech department with a wealth of knowledge. Uh, we have guys there that's never raced, but uh, have been doing this for twenty plus years, and uh, are, are very on top of what new modern day technology is and what it takes to operate a particular car in a particular category. So, uh, for me, one of the one of the things that NHRA um, hasn't had in a long time is they they've probably not had somebody that was very diverse in the super classes and uh and i raced that class for a long long time as well as bracket race and top dragster and some top sportsman stuff and uh, uh had opportunity as a young man to work uh, through the pro stock ranks uh, as a crew member um and so a lot of opportunity been around it for a long time and i always say that if you understand the class it's uh or the category it's much easier to know where to look when to look and uh, and what location to go search and find something that may be going on that uh, that shouldn't be. Um, we uh, throughout the year, it's uh, there's been a few items found here and there. Um, there's some uh, wheelbase is a big thing in stock and super stock uh, that you can't alter the wheelbase much from stock, and so uh, 
sometimes they're found and it's and it may have been nothing more than somebody changed a set of four link bars in a super stocker and they and they made them too short or they whoever made them too short they put them back in the car and the wheelbase is a little too short i'm not i don't go in it with that somebody is 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 looking for a performance advantage uh i go with it that hey i'm just here to make sure that everybody's on the same level playing field yeah no it makes total sense and you know that i'm glad that uh you know that's a cool thing for people to understand in terms of the mentality of what the tech department is and again the the idea that you know because you see people on the internet like there's not even a tech department anymore it's like no i can assure you that there is and i can assure you these guys bust their ass all weekend long to do to do the job that they are there to do now i want to move away from the racetrack and go to the to me i'm not going to say it's doubly as important but i think in some ways it is the work you do away from the racetrack and this is where i want to talk about the creation of a category like factory experimental and i want to talk about some of the other things uh, as much as we can anyway um directionally competition wise that nhra is doing that you're working on because i think it's important for people to understand there has been a a pretty seismic shift in the way that nhra views what what the tech department does what the tech department's role is and to me what the overall conversation of the evolution of nhra is going to be right that is correct the uh the one thing the the way the technical department is assembled currently is that we have a lot of we have a lot of great ideas within the tech department we have a lot of great people that are willing to step forward uh with ideas uh the the department talks a lot throughout the week uh, in group meetings and Zoom calls. Uh, obviously, we're not all in the same office, but for probably for somewhere around seven or eight hours per week, we are together in a group. And, uh, and so the, the, we have support above us uh, from the office in uh, Glendora and Indianapolis to uh, – that is in support of great ideas and, uh, you know, to help move NHRA in a marketable direction, meaning that, uh, wherever the aftermarket is headed, we are, um, I think for a long time, NHRA felt like this is our program. We want you to come join it. And here's the invitation. (laughs) Now, now we're trying to open those doors a little bit and make it even a bigger invitation. And so, uh, yeah, there's a tremendous amount of work when we leave the event and, uh, and the event schedules is pretty crazy. It was 22 events in 2021. And, uh, so, and a lot of back to back, a lot of cancel and reschedules. And, uh, so it was a pretty, it was a pretty tough event year, uh, especially for our customers and our staff. But, uh, as soon as we, as soon as we walk off the field, so to speak, at the event, we truly go to work in the office and uh, and trying to make tomorrow better than yesterday. Yeah, and it's a great thing. And, um, you know, you and I were, were fortunate enough to sit up there on the stage at SEMA and, and effectively announce the creation of, of Factory Experimental or Factory X, as we're, uh, as we're calling it. And uh, this is a class that, as we mentioned a little bit earlier at the top of this interview, has really captured the attention of a lot of people and not just people saying, oh, I'd like to do this someday. I mean, we're talking guys like Jerry Bickle saying, no, I'm building these cars. Come on and buy one from me. Like these guys are stepping forward to solicit the business. Racers like Jeff Turk are saying, yep, I have a car being built at this moment. And so to me, it's the first time in years we've seen not just a class announced because that happens every now and again, but a class announced and people diving to get into it. It's, It's awesome. 
Yeah, and and even the uh, even a, a more awesome note to that thing is that it's not only and I love Jerry Bickle and I love Jerry Haas and Rick Jones and all those very high profile builders. Um, you know, some of their creations are works of art, but uh, but this also brings in uh, the small. Uh, oh, yeah. The small chassis shop that, yeah. that has been used to building a, um, a no-prep car, a 275 steel roof and quarter car. Um, this this brings in all kinds of builders. There's some guys that are going to build these cars in their garage at home. They're going to make a makeshift jig. It's for one car, and uh, and they're you know at home do-it-yourselfer guys. And this is not a car that they can't build. And so uh, it's uh, one thing. Um, for all the bigger shops that have a, uh, a metal artist, uh, that guy's going to be really bored with this particular project because <laughs> it's all, it's, it's all stock dimensional. Yeah. Don't be making any fancy panels. Uh, just at the end of the day, the car's really going to look like an all steel body car. It's going to have some composite, uh, components to it, but, uh, this is going to be really cool. It's, uh, it gets us way back to a race on Sunday, sell on Monday. It it opens the door and the invitation for the OEM involvement. Um, the uh, uh, and and like I said recently, uh, when this was presented to the OEMs, they were kind of like, yeah, yeah, sounds sounds nice, kind of good idea, you know, uh, yeah, uh, go for it. Well, then as we come along and as we're kind of in this phase two of it and the excitement builds and the press releases have gone out and the class has been talked about. Now the OEMs are ringing the phone and uh, they're like, Hey, what, uh, Hey, this is, uh, what do we need to do? Where can we help? And so, uh, it is nice to rebuild that relationship that once was very strong with it, with the NHRA. And, uh, and I hope that we get back to the level as it once was, but, uh, but their simple involvement at the time is, uh, uh, leads us to believe that uh, we have a bright future. Yeah, no, it's great, and you know, I've, I've, uh, I think you, me, everybody else is is looking around too, going, all right, who's going to be the, who's going to be the fourth to jump into this thing? And you know, I'm thinking a Toyota, which I would love to see Toyota get involved in this category at some point. And as you mentioned, it really is, it's open to anybody that manufactures a V8 engine uh, that can, you know, that can put something together. So, you know, the the Korean manufacturers, the Hyundai's, the Kia's of the world, they have a five liter engine program that could be very competitive overhead cam with a blower on it for sure. Um, so yeah, the possibilities are, are wide ranging here. And I think, you know, for such a long time, that appeal of the appeal of having a factory appearing car, you know, and, and over the years we watched pro stock morph into what it is today. And that's not, I'm not being negative toward pro stock. It's the evolution of racing, but you know, you understand why that the OEs don't necessarily want to dive on top of a pro stock car just because it's kind of gone out of their hands. But this, like you said, if you can get spark a little imagination, spark some, uh, some conversation and you're going to get everybody excited again. And it certainly sounds like that's what's happening. No, that's exactly right. And this isn't, a, and, <clears throat> and this isn't a replacement of pro stock. This is a, this will be a great stepping stone for somebody that, that wants to move to that type of seat. But, uh, but really at the end of the day, the, the engines are not, the engines are not crazy. We did recently price what, uh, what a turnkey blower to pan, supercharger to pan engine costs. And, uh, 
and it's not extreme whenever you start talking about, uh, you know, a, a nine degree 632 to go run super comp with. Right. Uh, you know, that thing is, that thing's $54,000. Yeah. And, uh, <clears throat> and there are people racing that don't have that, uh, kind of budget in their engine program. And that's, what's nice about the index style racing is that it, uh, you, you can go race super comp and run 158 mile an hour with a 468 and very little throttle stop. Or, or you can uh, be I, Steve Williams I, and run 195, you know, whatever you want to do. I, I can tell you from the seat of the car, it's much funner to race coming from behind at 190 mile an hour. So the, uh, and to do that, you have to have, you have to have a lot. There's a lot of motor, there's a lot of transmission, there's a lot of torque converter involved yeah. and there's a lot of cost in that. So when we start talking about factory experimental, the, uh, recently, and, and I think anybody can call and price the engine, um, you know, the engines are, they're about 70 grand. But that is 100% turnkey, ready to set in the car, every component that you need. And uh, and so when you start talking about the supercharger itself, supercharger itself is over 10 grand. Yeah. So, um, so, yeah, so when you break it all down, it's not, uh, it's, it is an expensive power plant, but it's nothing like saying, I want to buy a new pro stock motor. So, yeah, and listen, um, we're, ta- we're not talking about small amounts of money here by any means, but. To your point, what you said earlier, and, and I would follow this to the engine side of things too, is there are people out there that are very skilled craftsmen at home, like you said, that can build a, a 25.3 chassis. There are loads of chassis shops around this country. I got two of them within five miles of my house that build beautiful cars that can that can knock one of these babies out as quickly as you want them to do it. And there are also a lot of really talented engine builders out there that have not gotten the have not gotten the spotlight shown on them. I mean, we know about the Bartons of the world, the Chris Holbrooks of the world, the Tony Bischoffs of the world through Factory Stock Showdown and the, and the ability that they've had to uh, to make make big splash there. But this could be another opportunity in Factory X to expose some of the great engine building talent out there along with the, the chassis building talent. So, you know, competition improves the breed. And as we all know, competition also improves pricing. So, you know, if, if all of a sudden there's, say, eight or nine good sources to get a motor for one of these cars instead of four or five, maybe that 70 starts to become a lot closer to 60 or whatever. But reality is a couple of guys that are you know, hardworking, fairly successful people can put one of these cars together and go out there and throw down, which is, which is awesome. No, that's you're a hundred percent correct. And, and, and I throw Stanfields in there as well, but, yes. uh, but you're right as, as the, as this whole engine platform gets developed out of more locations, uh, we won't see the price go up. The price will come down. You know, one, Lonnie, one of the last things I want to touch on is, is the fact that, um, Street legal drag racing is a big part of what the NHRA obviously was built on, you know, getting racing off the streets onto the drag strip. Uh, the rules regarding street legal cars continue to evolve and change. And I know there's things we can't talk about here and things we can't talk about, and that's fine. But I want people to understand that the tech department is not ignoring this part of the sport either. In fact, it's a central part of a lot of conversations you guys have been having. No, that's exactly right. There, uh, There's a lot of things going on behind the scenes that uh, – um, for the people from the outside, they're like, you know, why don't NHRA do this? And why wouldn't they do this? Why can't they change this? And well, I'm not saying that, that we've fixed all of it overnight by no means. It is a, uh, we are in a fast track of, uh, of improvement, uh, to make a, a better experience for our customers, uh, across member tracks, across divisional races, across national events. Uh, with that said, 
uh, a lot of these things I, I consider the NHRA a Titanic. Uh, it's very stable. Uh, it's uh, you know it's a big ship. It's a Carnival Cruise Line. It's uh, it's a very big ship. It uh, does not turn very quickly. Uh, the turns that it makes, we want to make sure that uh, that they're the turns that needed to be made, and uh, and at the same token, um, make for a better creation for an experience for our customer. The uh, with that said, there is a lot of things that's been happening throughout the year uh, to get us to where we are, and uh, um, and we look for some new, really exciting news coming at PRI that uh, um, that will have a lot to do with the ener- re-energize it uh, of the aftermarket, uh, the member tracks, um, and, and really a lot of customers, uh, I think, are going to have a lot of more of excitement uh, towards NHRA. Uh, I had a conversation last night with a great friend of mine, and we talked about as we were kids, and you'll understand what I'm going to say here, as we were kids and we would go to the local racing head service or the local Steve speed shop or whatever the case was, you saw a dually in the parking lot and it had a NHRA little oval decal in the back window, man, as a 15, 16, 17 year old kid, we thought that was the, the coolest decal in the world. Yeah. Cause that dude's a racer. Like this guy's a racer. Yeah. yeah, that's right. So what I'm trying to get back to is that, uh, that our new generation of young men and women, uh, see that same NHRA decal logo and really think that that is cool. And uh, that's that's really where I'm trying to get back to. And uh, and we're making some very big strides uh, and some, some announcements coming soon that uh, that I think will help kickstart us back in the right direction. Yeah, I agree. And uh, it's, an interesting th- it's an interesting thing, and it's an interesting place to be where you are. And, and really, when you think about the amount of the amount of people that not just a tech department, but the you know we talk about customers and, and stakeholders in NHRA, and it's like you're trying to do the best thing for the racer, you're trying to do the best thing for the fan, you're trying to do the best best thing for the racetrack, you're trying to do the best thing for your sponsors, advertisers, and industry. It's a really difficult thing to try to wear nine hats at the same time. And and one of the things that N, that people kind of forget about with NHRA is that there's a, a lot of ASOs, what are called associate sanctioning organizations, uh, organizations like the NMRA and the NMCA some of the diesel drag racing stuff. Um, and these organizations are also important because they work off of, primarily work off of our rule books. So changes that are made through the NHRA also have a ripple effect there. So it is a it is a wildly interconnected society we're living in here. It is. And then you have, uh, you know, there's a ton of, uh, earlier in the podcast, we talked about other events that, uh, that have, uh, been blessed to be a part of, and you and I have worked many, many of them together. And, uh, and we, we want all those places to succeed. Absolutely. Uh, and, and when we go back to our founder of Wally parks, I mean, his whole idea was, yes, he would like to, at the end of the day, he would like to look around and say, everybody was our customer, but at the same token, uh, it really, he want, you know, we, we want every place and every organization uh, every member track, uh, at, at whatever level of event they want to have, we want it to be successful. We and and most importantly, we want it to be safe. Bam, Lonnie Grimm, National Tech Director, man, great conversation. Can't wait to see a PRN next week and uh, enjoy uh, enjoy a weekend off. Oh, it's uh, 
hey, man, there's a lot of things that if it's going to make it in the 2022 rule book uh, for an amendment, we've got uh, we've got a deadline for Friday to get some stuff in. So there's still a lot of work to be done between now and midnight Friday night. But, uh, hey, it's just uh, it's another day at the office. And uh, at the end of the day, uh, just trying to provide a, an opportunity for a customer to have a great experience. Thanks for your time, Lonnie. Thank you. All right, we're going to move right into our second guest here in this episode of the NHRA Insider. We continue going deep inside the NHRA, and with me now is NHRA Medical Director, Dr. Phil Surface. How are you doing, sir? I'm doing great, Brian. Uh, how are you? I'm doing well. It's uh, it's freezing cold here in Boston. I don't know how things are in, in West Virginia, but it's uh, it's frigid here. Yeah, same here. Little. Uh... <laughs> little gray skies and a little flurry here and there but uh hey we'll take it yeah we'll take it man we'll take it now i want to talk the same way i I talked to to lonnie with you and i want to kind of break this conversation into two pieces and because people by and large really don't understand that the the breadth and depth and scope of of what you do with nhra so the thing most people know is that you're at the racetrack so i want to start there and talk about kind of what your normal weekend or duties are at a, a race and then I really want to talk about what goes on away from the racetrack because that is a level of depth that people definitely have no idea about. So on a normal race weekend for, for the NHRA medical director, what are your duties at the racetrack? Okay, uh, a typical weekend for me um, uh, begins uh, early on Friday morning, sometimes Thursday morning, depending on the race schedule. Uh, meeting with the uh, principals of the safety safari uh, health team. So we, we have a organizational meeting and go over um, what local ambulance coverage we have, where those folks are going to be stationed, what their credentials are, and uh, what level of expertise that we have available from uh, local uh, uh, medical transport. For example, do we have paramedics? Do we have EMTs? How many of each one? Uh, what our uh, local fire uh, and and uh, uh, transportation capabilities are? We also review um, the facilities nearby with regard to uh, healthcare uh, for traumatic situations. For example, where's the closest uh, trauma center? and what is the best route to get them there in terms of air or ground. Uh, some facilities, it's actually quicker for us to transport patients uh, via uh, ground instead of air. So uh, we have a general meeting going over those sorts of things and getting organized and then um, uh, meet with the safety safari uh, folks and, and make sure that our trucks are uh, staffed and rigged correctly with uh uh, proper people. A lot of that stuff is handled uh, in terms of um, day-to-day paperwork and, and management of those issues by other staff members on the safety safari like Jeff Parker and John Crosby and those folks. But I always meet with those folks, touch base, and then um, uh, then it's an issue of uh, going through uh, race day strategy, going over the schedule, trying to orient uh, what tasks need to be done when. So uh, my obligations during the race weekend are at trackside during uh, certain categories and certain categories I don't have to be on the track. So I'll have some other tasks that need to be done, some mundane things that uh, paperwork and other otherwise. And so we try to get those things scheduled 
for the rest of the day. And um, so then it's it's moving into race day, uh, touching base with drivers. I always have uh, a few folks that need to be seen for a medical issue here and there. Uh, or try to get that done uh, before we get get going hardcore into the day. And uh, there will also be several uh, administrative tasks that I have to handle. We, we manage the workers' comp uh, uh, injuries and risk management and things like that. So I'll, I'll be involved in a lot of paperwork uh, and phone calls back and forth with headquarters regarding issues like that. Uh, and then, of course, uh, the entire race weekend, um, uh, while we have cars going down the track in any category, I'm there and available and uh, ready to go to respond to an incident. So um, there's quite a, a lot of multitasking. Uh, you mentioned Lonnie and his group. They're great. I do a lot of work with those guys. I'm in constant uh, discussions with them about um, issues that we have going on that relate to safety and uh, so forth. So there's a lot of multitasking that goes on during a race weekend, and, and that's uh, sort of a general overview of how, how we get things going, at least early part of the week. So, Doctor, one of the things that to me was of personal note and in, in regarding a, a race day or a race weekend situation was Joey Gladstone this year had a had a, a crash in testing um, before the Atlanta event, and it was really close to the Atlanta event. And there was a lot of question as to, you know, most people thought, well, he's going to be out for a while. Well, then he shows up to Atlanta, and I don't think anybody expected him to show up, maybe least not of which was you. And, you know, you went and had a, a private consultation with Joey and, and really kind of put him through his paces to make sure he was capable of, of safely riding his motorcycle. Yeah. Um, you know, one of the things that I do is provide oversight to uh, the competitors' uh, health and, and wellness and injury status. And so, uh, I provide oversight for the NHRA regarding, uh, you know, people's physical exams that they have to complete for their licensure and so forth. And certainly when there's an accident um, uh, or whether it's, you know, related to the racing or not, if someone has an accident, an injury, uh, they have their own treating physicians and so forth. But uh, I, I provide oversight for the NHRA to make certain that, you know, the communication is, is open and that, we really have a good idea of what's going on. We don't expect every physician around the country to understand exactly what these competitors have to go through to race. And so, uh, Joey was a, was an example of of a time crunch where uh, he had had pretty significant injuries. He was treated by his uh, home physician, um, but really showed up at the racetrack without any definitive um, uh, clearance uh, per se to race from his treating physician and uh, he contacted uh, myself and, and Josh Peterson and Ned Walliser and, and wanted to know if if there was a way that we could evaluate that and so his injuries were, the, were certainly within my field of expertise. I'm an orthopedic surgeon and do a lot of trauma stuff and so I was able to go meet with Joey and do a, a really pretty thorough physical examination based on uh on my knowledge of orthopedics and and having a, a good understanding of what joey needed to do uh to compete and so when when we do that of course we there's there's several players uh there's several entities that i'm i'm wanting to protect you know first and foremost i want to protect 
Joey make sure that he can race safely for himself, but then there's always somebody else in the other lane. And then, you know, we have employees that are trackside. And so, uh, you know, we have several people's interests uh, at heart. And uh, so we were able to able to meet with Joey and, and do a, you know, a, basically like an office visit that if he were seeing in my office, he brought his medical records with him. And, uh, of course, you know, what a great guy. He, he, that's the first time I'd ever interacted with him a whole lot. And, uh, I went, I walked away from that interaction, uh, really impressed with, uh, with his maturity and, uh, sincerity and, and, and love for the sport, very respectful, respectful young man and and uh it was it was a joy to work with him but at any rate he he was safe to race and so um i filled out his paperwork and 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 discussed it with the uh with the leadership team at the nhra and we cleared him to race and it it, it worked out good yeah for a guy who's fairly small in stature he is a bulldog by any by any measure the guy is uh is tough as nails and and it was great to see him back on the track and as you said it it spoke to his heart and his love for the sport for beyond really anything else so let's move away from the racetrack now and let's talk about what I, what really is, in my opinion, the most impressive and, and important part of your job, which is um, it deals with not just not just people's physical health. We're talking about, you know, things that have happened in the world of racing, innovations that have been made safety wise mechanically to these cars. And I guess the first place we got to start, because why wouldn't we? Because it's 2020 and 2021 is, you know, you had to really work very closely with NHRA to develop our COVID protocol so we could actually go back racing, which is something that no NHRA medical director has ever had to deal with, which is a pandemic. Yeah, you know, uh, it's been an interesting, interesting uh, season for sure. Uh, I've had to gain a lot of expertise in fields uh, of medicine that, you know, I never expected to to acquire the, the amount of expertise that I have. And I, I'm, no, I'm certainly not a, a world-renowned expert in epidemiology, virology, or infectious disease, <laughs> but I've, 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 uh, I've had to stay at the proverbial Holiday Inn last night when it comes to this stuff. And I've had to go through a real crash course. But, but yeah, it's, it, it's, it's a challenge. And, uh, you know, I've been fortunate, I think, to work with uh, a group of people in the in leadership of the NHRA that's done a tremendous job. They uh, we've they they were smart enough to form a task force early on and and appoint the, I think the proper players to that task force and everyone took it seriously and we we dug in and got to work, and uh, were able to to really do what I have considered to be a phenomenal. Uh, job and, and keeping us on the racetrack throughout all of this. Uh, and, you know, we were able to get back racing early as well. And, you know, it wasn't perfect and we learned as we went, but, uh, you know, it, it's, it's, it's been a challenge, but it's been rewarding in a lot of ways. It's been um, uh, refreshing to see the level of commitment and, and knowledge that people are willing to put forth to try to make this happen. But, yeah, we, we, you know, there's a lot of stuff that's went on with this that, you know, I think to the the depth that I, I think uh, I certainly never dreamed, and, and I think most people don't realize. I mean, there's so many different factors. Each place we go has different local regulations yeah. regarding the number of people that can be in a facility and what you have to do to screen them or not, and uh, there's just a lot of moving parts. You know, we, we go to the next racetrack and we've got things going. 
we're we're working on a race currently, you know, and we've got another race coming in ten days, and we get an announcement that regards food services, you know, and things like that. You don't you don't think about, but hey, you know, we're going to a racetrack where there's these new uh, barely comprehensible regulations regarding food service, you know, and and uh, just as one example. Um, and and how do we how do we do this uh, in a way that's that makes us uh, as safe as we can be and and not becoming a super spreader you know yeah um, one of the big issues that we had to deal with and I've spoken with several uh, race team principals drivers and crew chiefs and others owners um, one of the things that we've really had to work hard on is that we have a really super specialized group of people that travel on the road in the safety safari and in other departments i mean yours included you know your your job is specifically one of them that are very specialized very uh few people can do these particular tasks in the in the way that we need them done and so we're we're having to you know this whole season we're having to struggle in ways that ensured that we could provide as much safety as possible because we don't we this past season we didn't have a deep bench you right, know right and 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 even without a pandemic we don't have a deep bench i mean a lot of the safety safari and and the technical aspects you mentioned lonnie graham and and that group uh, they're outstanding but i mean the, it, there's not um there's not a ton of people in this country that that can do what he does especially at short notice yes. so we we had to spend a you know a lot of our efforts were were tailored towards that you know really protecting uh our people because that's our most important resource you know that makes total sense and, and when we talk about protecting people i want to get into some of the some of the work you've done over the years that goes into the actual race cars to protect drivers when they get themselves into trouble or find themselves in trouble and you know specifically we you and i were chatting in the pits uh, the evening after the the sunday night of the finals and i want you to relate the story you told to me that night about some some actual chassis changes that were made because drivers were suffering uh injuries that that you analyzed and said hey we can do a better job at this yeah, yeah, that that's has been the most rewarding part of of being the medical director at the NHRA for me personally. Uh, you know, I love the racing, I love the family. Uh, they're all like family to me, and and whatnot, and that's all great. But the the part that really I enjoy the most, and I get the most uh, out of, is is that aspect of of making a difference in the the safety of the sport when it comes to uh, what I call cockpit ergonomics, uh, the, 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 the way the, the car cockpit is uh, fashioned and managed to, to limit risk. And, and that's that biomechanical engineering background that I have uh, and, and being an orthopedic surgeon, naturally that's where I would migrate towards. And, and so, you know, we had a, a couple seasons ago, we had uh, several door car uh, uh, categories where we had um, a series of injuries that uh, were, were significant. I mean, we had we we had uh, some pretty significant uh, uh, injuries that that occurred to several people in door cars in the same uh, body part. You know, as we had some spine injuries, some some fairly significant and some fairly minor, but they all had one component in common. 
and that was the way the spine was being loaded in the accident. In other words, the impact was loading the spine in a particular way. And so we were able to analyze uh, the crashes and uh, working in conjunction with uh, Tim White and Ned and uh, the tech department, uh, we were able to sort of find a common denominator and we decided to have a meeting with uh, chassis manufacturers and and it, it was really cool we had uh, you know uh, we had Jerry Haas and and uh, and others that were there and we all met and we went over these findings and and what I found medically in common with these folks and what we felt like was the common denominator and as we were investigating uh, we found uh, a thing in the chassis that needed to be improved and needed to be changed. And it was um, some of the bars that were in the flooring of the car actually matched up with some of the bony anatomy in people's pelvis and such that uh, the, the bar width was exactly uh, the width of the uh, bony anatomy in the average uh, adult person. And so that's a crazy, we I mean, it's a, it's it, yeah. that just that little factoid alone speaks to the yeah. level of, of analysis that was done yeah. to me. That's like, that's the most mind boggling part where it's like the bar yeah. is the exact width of the area. You know, it's just, it, to me, that's a, that's a very finite yeah. piece of information. That's, that's impressive. Yeah. And, and yeah, and, and that's, and that's what's cool about it is to, to be, you know, to combine the knowledge of, of, uh, trauma and biomechanics and racing and understand the way these cars are made and the way they function and then to be able uh, you know although very unfortunate we had the injuries we we were able to at the end of the day prevent a bunch of injuries from happening in the future i think and so uh when i took the job as a medical director you know one of the things i asked for is as is a modification to the way accidents were handled and i, I asked them to to allow me to be involved in the tech side of, of accident investigation. Previously, we would have an accident. The medical uh, personnel would, would take care of the medical side. The tech department would take the car, and they would do what they need to do. And both sides are doing it well, but there was no interaction, or, or I would say there's no significant interaction. Well, so, you know, uh, Josh Peterson, uh, Glenn Cromwell, uh, Ned Walliser and others, and I talked about this, and then we, we have adopted a policy now where if we have an accident, you know, we take the car and we spend as much time with it as we need to to learn as much as we possibly can from it. And then when we see trends, if we see a, a, a trend uh, or a recurring issue, then we dive deeper into it uh, and, and come up with a fix. And I think I was telling you at the at, after the finals that evening we were having that talk, I, I subscribed to a, an international motorsports engineering magazine, and, and they had an article in, in, in that magazine about a European ProMod car and some of the modifications to this new chassis they were building, and they mentioned the the new um, SFI regulations regarding the four pans in the car. And that, you know, even though my name was not in there and uh, my part was fairly small, uh, I took a lot of pride in reading that article. I'm like, I, I, you know, it was one time when I stopped and said, man, that's really cool. You know, I was involved in that and uh, with a lot of other people. And so that's what, you know, we do. Uh, to try to make it better, and that's the part that I really love. I mean, all of it's fun to me, and all of it I get a lot out of, but I'm really mostly interested in that. 
and it and it's a great nexus of 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 what you do and and again i think it's important for people to know like you didn't just fall off the turnip truck with drag racing you've been around the sport your whole life yeah yeah that's right i mean uh as as you know i've talked before i've you know raced uh my entire life and and most of that has been drag racing and was fortunate enough to work on uh, multiple professional teams as a mechanic while I was in medical school and training and so forth. And so, yeah, I've got a, I've got a, um, a good background, a good sound footing, we'll say in, in the racing and what goes on with it. And, uh, you know, I'm by no means an expert never was at, at, at racing, but, uh, but I, I've got a pretty good handle on what's going on and I'm able to, with the help of others, I'm able to uh, correlate that and uh, and so, and bring some level of expertise to the sport that I think hopefully will be helpful. Um, and you know, and it, and it's it's perfectly cool that it's it's sight unseen. It goes on behind the scenes, and uh, and uh, and I'm fine with that. I think that's cool. Yeah, I think it's it's a very important thing. And and again, I think the the majority of, of fans, and this is not their fault. The majority of fans, I believe, uh, have the impression that you know the 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 medical director is at the racetrack to oversee and make sure if something goes wrong that there's somebody qualified on on scene to give you know that first initial oversight of the care, and then and then your job ends at that point. But you know this idea that you know, it really goes way outside of the, the fences of the racetrack to me is something I think people just don't understand. And, and the yeah. amount of dedication that it takes, you know, if you didn't love this sport, this would, this would be not, you know, I know there are hard days and there are hard days in your, in your normal professional life as an orthopedic surgeon. There are hard days at the racetrack doing this particular job, but um, when you have your heart into it, it certainly changes your perspective on those days. Oh yeah, absolutely. And, uh, it really does, and 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 I, I I like the way you characterize it. My heart is in it, and uh, I enjoy it, you know. And 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 there's always something new. There's something going on uh, with it uh, regarding safety at, at any given moment. Not just dealing with the pandemic and uh, and the, and those sorts of issues, but you know, for example, right now I've got a couple things pending. I need to get back to two different racers. I have one. Uh, one racer that's going to be coming, I, I believe, going to be coming into Top Fuel Funny Card next season, and he has a safety device that he is interested in, and he did the right thing. He reached out and spoke with Tim White, the director of engineering, and Tim responded to him and then and then forwarded it on to me, and and uh, and I, I you know received an email from Tim and this this driver that's going to be coming into the class and. And Tim, you know, uh, sent an introductory email and said, hey, you, you also need to talk to our medical director about this. So I've got that going on. And then I've got a, 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 um, a pro mod uh, crew chief who's uh, working on developing a new, uh, not a complete ground up new, but a, a modified version of an existing seat for a pro mod car. And he's interested in uh some of my viewpoints on it so there's things like that going on all the time that you know really keep my interest peaked and uh it's a lot of fun it's it's enjoyable well it's uh it's a it's a resource and you are, i should say are a resource that we are incredibly fortunate to have uh in the sport with nhra and it's uh, it's always a pleasure to talk to you man i learn something new every time we every time we chat and uh 
again, on behalf of all of us, thank you for everything that uh, that you do, not only at the racetrack but outside it. And um, you know, you you spoke to our broadcasting group a lot. You spoke to every group a lot over the course of uh, these last couple of years, and and it was funny because you'd always you know kind of preface the conversation of I know you're the last guy, I'm the last guy you want to be seeing standing up here right now, but here's here's the conversation <laughs> we have to have, and we all appreciated it. And I was always impressed that. Um, not only the comprehensive nature of these conversations, but the fact that every time you ended, there were people that had some really good, honest questions. You know, it was everybody was engaged in what you were saying, which really, um, again, was an impressive thing to me, you know, because you know how it goes. People sit down and, and they twiddle their thumbs and they zone out. I can tell you from personal experience, you know, you you held the interest of the group because you had very pertinent information. And then the verification of that was at the end of every one of these meetings, somebody would raise their hand and have, have some really good questions for you. So it's, uh, it's been a great thing. Yes. Yes. And, and I appreciate your kind words. And, uh, certainly, uh, uh, the, the feeling is, is mutual. I, I've always enjoyed talking with you and, and think you're the consummate professional. You do a great job and, and thank you for saying that. And, uh, yeah, the, uh, you're right. You know, when these meetings would occur, it's, uh, I became kind of a nag, you know, uh, over time, I, I think, you know, uh, with all the COVID stuff that we've had to deal with and, and that's okay. You know, uh, that's, that's a role I can, I can handle, but yeah, everybody's very engaged. And, and I, I want to say that, you know, I really appreciate, uh, uh, that aspect. I think people have taken the, the NHRA employees, our fans, our racers, we've all, they've all taken it very seriously. They've taken it on the chin. Uh, it's been a tough, a tough road, but, but everyone's taken it seriously. Uh, by and large, everyone's been cooperative and, 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 uh, and paid attention and, and done what they, what they needed to do. And, and I think that's a reflection of, one thing that has always attracted me to NHRA drag racing is that, um, you know, there's some really very interesting and very intelligent people uh, that are involved at every level of, uh, of the sport. I mean, uh, it, it's, it's always been uh, something that very uh, significantly interests me that uh, we have people out doing jobs on the safety safari as an example that, you know, you would think that uh, maybe this person um, is just an ordinary guy, ordinary gal, uh, and you go start talking to them, and they have fascinating lives, and they do uh, a lot of other things, have had, you know, uh, interesting careers and other aspects of their lives, and uh, very bright people, very knowledgeable, and uh, it's, it's just a joy to work with them, and, and that's, I think, reflected in, in what you said a minute ago. Well, thank you very much for your time, Dr. Surface. I know you're a busy guy, and uh, listen, uh, like uh, like you and everybody else, I hope there's at least a couple of weeks within this very short break we have <laughs> before we start talking about Pomona again. I hope there's a couple of weeks in there for you to go get a tan somewhere and soak up some sun and at least take a couple of deep breaths. Yeah, well, I'll, I'll, I, uh, I'm going to try to do that and uh, uh, look forward to uh, seeing you at the PRI show and uh, – and, um, get a little bit of rest and and i appreciate very much you having me on the show I, I really enjoy listening to it and it's an honor for me to be on here and uh i really appreciate it thanks a lot brian hey man i'll get that check in the mail to you for those those words thank you I okay. you. <laughs> <laughs> dr phil um, surface thanks so much man all right thank you bye-bye
And so that brings us to the close of what I think is a highly interesting episode of the NHRA Insider Podcast, really kind of living up to the title name of the show here, taking you into two places that I'm sure some of you knew a little bit about, some of you might have known more than others, but I don't know if anybody listening to this actually knows or knew beforehand the depth and breadth of of what those two jobs and what those two positions do in the world of NHRA drag racing. I'm talking National Tech Director and Medical Director for the NHRA. So big thanks to Lonnie Grimm, big thanks to Dr. Phil surface for spending some time out of their valuable days uh, with me chatting and I hope you found this episode exciting and interesting and uh, certainly opening some eyes on the tech front certainly opening some eyes on the medical front as well next week is the PRI show as I mentioned 50-50 shot will get a show up before I go to, to PRI if not I'll be back the following week with all the news that's fit to print the doctor's going to be out there Lonnie's going to be out there and Lonnie did uh, tease as I have been uh, a load of announcements coming from not only the NHRA, but also from uh, drivers, teams, uh, team owners, sponsors, you name it. PRI is going to be ripe with information out of the world of NHRA drag racing. As always, thanks so much for listening. Thanks so much for being a fan of the National Hot Rod Association, Camping World Drag Racing Series, Lucas Oil Drag Racing Series, E3 Spark Plugs Pro Modified Series, and all the other stuff we do as well, street legal drag racing to boot. I'll be back soon with another episode of the NHRA Insider Podcast. I'm Brian Lowens.